0: You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported.
1: Hey Scott, remember that Charlie's Angels movie we watched last month? Well, here's the pitch. I want to flip it. Flip it? Yeah, I want to do an action-spy-adventure film, but this time from a man's perspective.
0: Okay, I have some notes.
1: Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Kingsman, Colin, The Golden Circle, uh, as requested by uh, listener Michael Davis. And we are joined today uh, by our guest. Uh, very excited to, to have him. My first time meeting him. Uh, excited to, to get to, to know his body of work, please uh, welcome uh, Evan McDonald, uh, he him of the Kino Lefter podcast. Hello, Evan.
2: Hello, note takers. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I have collected all of my notes in uh, in a nice uh, audio <laughs> Lo- friendly <laughs> format. Um, yes, very excited to talk spy films. Even this one? <laughs> no, <laughs>
3: are are any of us really excited to talk about this one? Because it was it was a bummer. This one we've done we've done some rough movies on it, but I dare say I I, I talked about it in a, during our chat. I think this is probably the my second least
1: favorite movie. With my least favorite movie being Blues Brothers two thousand. Hmm. That that's fair. I actually I I I really wanted to go into today's episode like. Because I I haven't seen the first Kingsman movie, so I came to this cold, and I wanted to, like, come to this episode with a little more, like, enthusiasm and positivity towards movies, because I feel like sometimes I get a little, like, film snobby and judgy sometimes. Uh, And in watching this movie, uh, I actually want to start off by, like, apologizing to some movies we have done in the past (laughs) that perhaps I was overly critical of, given what I have just seen now. Uh, so like charlie's angels uh definitely a, a better spy movie uh robin hood uh a much better uh Eggert movie anger whatever his name is uh, i would watch I, I was i was bored shitless during robin hood and it would be sweet relief from this film um 20th century fox you make some crap dark phoenix like at least it has x-men in it like at least you can like think like you can hum the x-men tune along in your head while you watch dark phoenix evolution was very very stupid um but at least it wasn't obnoxious the way this stupid movie is uh and then also power rangers uh you know had had brian cranston so like and even blues brothers 2000 has like an aretha franklin jam like even the needle drops in this movie kind of suck um (laughs) So, those are my apologies to uh, action movies I was overly critical of that
2: we have done on this podcast recently. I am sorry. Uh, (laughs) That's brave and vulnerable, and I commend you for doing that. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. I feel seen.
3: (laughs) This this movie was kind of like um, the last 10 minutes of Power Rangers, but just like constant, like throughout the entire film. Just... Bonkers, balls to the wall, um, no real attempt to breathe. I, I felt insulted by it. And I, I think it's because, <laughs> uh, it's it's not because of, I mean, there's certain parts, you know, there's certain content that I wasn't a fan of, but I, I felt insulted by it because it, of its bravado and confidence it seemed to have in itself, you know, like it just like, it's, it seemed to th- think that it was Every bit, like it was just like so epic and cool, and like every time, every time we we reference this thing from the old the old movie, everyone's gonna lose their minds. And it's like this is terrible. None of this is landing. It's and it's just an assault on my senses.
0: Yeah, this th- you you really nail it there, Greg. This movie has a lot of unearned swagger, um, mm-hmm. and it that's the reason why it comes across as as Liam put it, obnoxious, because it is unearned. Everything in this movie is unearned, and it's really just sad and and terrible. It's like they
3: got a, like a mediocre box office from the first movie, and they're
0: just like, "Everyone loves us," and
3: we're like, "Really? <laughs> Do they though?"
0: Yeah. The first movie's not that bad, actually. Uh, I I rather enjoyed the first movie, and Nita rather enjoyed the first movie. We were kind of looking forward to a sequel. We were excited that Colin Firth would be returning because he's awesome. He's Colin Firth, and uh, yeah, I, we never got around to seeing it until this week when we needed, when I needed to watch it for the podcast. And uh, I unknowingly had made the correct choice in not seeing it <laughs> and just imagining what the sequel might have been, letting it kind of live in that liminal space of possibility.
3: <laughs> I think I'm I'm more in Liam's position like i have seen the first kingsman movie Mm -hmm. um but i found it to be such a nothing film that i've forgotten almost all of it i think the only thing i really remember from the first movie is that colin firth died um and even that i had the movie had to remind me like when when colin firth shows up in like the the padded room where i'm like all right he was yeah that's he was that character and they said he died got it
2: I think my appreciation for Kingsman the Secret Service uh, has gone down slightly upon revisiting it for the first time since watching it in theaters. Uh, I think it's still pretty good. I did have a fun time at home. Um, But boy, watching these two back to back, uh, this is definitely a greatest hits of one film. That was like pretty good. Uh, and you're just sitting there going like, oh yeah, it's that moment from uh, that, that, that already happened twice in the first movie. And I'm seeing it here again, recontextualized, but not really that much different. Um, and also it's the most plot heavy film I've seen in maybe an
0: entire calendar year. So I have to congratulate it for that.
1: Yeah. It, <laughs> two, two and a half hours, this bad boy.
0: Yeah. And I mean I mentioned Colin Firth before we we've already mentioned Taron Egerton. Um this movie has a stacked cast from top to bottom. Just amazing talent. Virtually all of it is completely mishandled. Like mm-hmm. how do you how do you mishandle Julianne Moore? How do you underuse Channing Tatum and Jeff Bridges and Halle yeah. Berry? <laughs> like there's there's exactly enough Pedro Pascal in this movie because he's great and he's awesome, but like the rest of the statesmen are just kind of window dressing. And it's baffles me that you could have this much talent concentrated in one place and somehow not have a good movie with them.
3: Most of them are just kind of glorified cameos.
0: Jeff Bridges is basically a glorified. He's on the poster holding a gun and he's basically a glorified cameo. He never
1: gets out of his chair. He's like, let's, uh, we'll go through the, we'll go through the list here. Uh, obviously, Uh, Name of the movie, Kingsman, The Golden Circle, came out in 2017, directed by Matthew Vaughn, who made uh, Kick-Ass, X-Men First Class, uh, baffling um, (laughs) that he, he, the same guy who made Kick-Ass, made this, uh, written by Jane Goldman, Matthew Vaughn, and Mark Miller uh, of the comics this is based on, stars uh, Taron Egerton as Eggsy, Colin Firth, Mark Strong, Julianne Moore as the villain Poppy, Channing Tatum. As tequila, Pedro Pascal's whiskey, Halle Berry's ginger, Jeff Bridges is champ champagne. What a cast. That's a, that's a Pixar's movie worth of (laughs) talented individuals. And here they are.
3: (laughs) Uh, I think it was the first film that I hated Julianne Moore's performance. She's usually like, I'm always there for it. Even, even her turn on, uh, to villain in um what's uh what's the young adult uh movie that she's in with the the the, the killing and the fighting oh <laughs> the, um hunger games, hunger hunger games thank you <laughs> yeah even 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 that um i i found entertaining but uh this is this was just irritating
2: yeah all respect to the cast members in this film but i do think not to you know get into all my thoughts on the film i think this is probably one of the worst screen villains uh i've ever seen in a movie (laughs) and some of its performance because they don't know really what's going on with her but i tried i kept a running list of all of her different quirks or you know the layers (laughs) to her plan and we're we're reaching, like, Jesse Eisenberg and Batman versus Superman levels without the entertaining, like, you know, notion of, like, what is he doing? Like, what is going on in his mind, right? It's just dull. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're they're really trying to paint her as, like, an, um, an eccentric Bond villain, but she just comes across as obnoxious. And part of it is, I think, just because it's so over the top.
1: Mm-hmm. I... I mean, I, I don't want to say I disagree, but, like, she might have been my favorite part. Uh, not even that she's bad, just, like, that the rest of the movie was so genuinely obnoxious. Like, I, I like she, the, the rest of the movie is obnoxious the way that someone, like, revving a truck engine on White Ad is obnoxious, where she was just, like, weird. She was just... It was a weird character. She was doing it weird. It wasn't great, but at least it wasn't, like... It didn't have the, like gestalt of a monster energy drink while well, she did it. It was just Julianne Moore being weird.
3: Did you enjoy her reading her own character summary when she was getting introduced? That was the wildest thing. Like, I'm so-and-so and I have a I have a predilection for 1950s stuff and all this. So, like, yeah, I could have got that movie if you had just, like, zoomed <laughs> into her little town or whatever. Like, I would have figured it out myself.
2: It's really fascinating because I think this is I I haven't watched all of Matthew Vaughn's films, but it's true of this film and The Secret Service where... There is just a hard line between dialogue sequences and action where no plot or character moments happen during action sequences. They are just there to be stylish and cool. And then dialogue scenes just feel overburdened with like, hello, this is who I am. I have this plan. I'm kind of quirky. Let's, do, you know, oh, off you go. Um, And then you're just treated to, you know, a 1980s song playing over... 500 people being shot in the head so it's a it's a very strange experience watching one of these <laughs> yeah
1: uh, well let's uh, let's treat our listeners to what I'm I can't even imagine what the trailer to this sounds like but <laughs> here we go <laughs> we're from the King'sman Taylor shop in London maybe you've heard of us
3: marks the beginning of a new age. Wait, I'm gonna show you. Say goodbye to the kingsmen.
0: Kind of got a bit of a say the world
1: situation here. Welcome to Statesman. As your American cousins, we'll be working side by side.
3: Let's get started.
0: After the Kingsman headquarters is destroyed by an obnoxious 1950s enthusiast slash drug kingpin named Poppy Adams, survivors Eggsy and Merlin make their way to Kentucky to seek help from their American counterparts in espionage. The statesmen mostly sit around dreaming up ways to torture Eggsy's former mentor, Harry Hart, who is alive, by the way. They point guns at him, attempt to drown him, all of which is meant to cure him of butterfly hallucinations. Makes perfect sense to Eggsy, who goes along with it and whatever other heinous misadventures the Americans cook up. Also, Poppy has poisoned the world's drug supply to hold millions hostage to get drug prohibition ended, and it's up to the Kingsmen and the Statesmen to stop her. Will they be victorious? You'll have to sit down for a two and a half hour assault on your senses to find out.
3: (laughs) Okay, so I've forgotten that they, that her plan was to get drug prohibition ended.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it it feels incidental. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately on my podcast i try to watch films you know through a political lens you know what do these stories mm-hmm. tell us about the times we live in Please. trying to, trying to get a say like a coherent ideology out of this uh was really exciting uh mark millar he's sort of like a left of center guy matthew vaughn i don't know but tr- like Poisoning all of the world's drug users to legalize drugs uh, while at the same time shaming drug users by going like, you'll never do this again at the end of the movie. uh, Really interesting stuff.
3: Yeah. I I found it also fascinating that the movie kind of wanted to revel and celebrate Americana while also having a very dim, low view of Americans. (laughs) Like, that was fun for me as well.
0: Yeah, the, the president of the United States in this movie is almost comically evil um and is so obviously like culture war republican that it's 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 not even subtle it's right on the nose it's right on the nose it's
2: in the nostrils it's on the nose and like i it's <laughs> I, and, I
3: laughed out loud when they when they when it came to that that cage scene in the in the
1: stadium yeah oh <laughs> they're literally stacking cages of people
2: and not to be, okay, I, I don't go into movies going like this is totally unrealistic. But if you stack people uh, vertically, I'm sorry, people <laughs> are going to be peed on. There's no way around it. Um, and uh, they're paralyzed. It's it's horrible. And just another quick note about the president, talking about sort of the movie's unearned swagger. Um mm-hmm. I, I always find it grating when a movie is just like, and here's, you know, the the moral of the film. Like the president is impeached and arrested at the end of the film, and it's just like, we have saved the country from the bad politician. We're we're doing his perp walk, like wee-woo, wee woo. It's just like this very like liberal fantasy sorry of just like ah the structures of power are completely fine don't worry the president (laughs) just tried to murder probably billions of people globally through inaction but don't worry the new person will be fine
1: yeah there's even a weird line where it she like julianne moore's like i think the u.n has no teeth so even though i've poisoned (laughs) everyone on earth i'm leaving it up to the president they explicitly state that she's like it might as well just be America calling the shots. Yeah, what I couldn't I couldn't parse what this movie was trying to say about like like I guess like the drug wars like or any of that stuff. And wasn't the wasn't the first one like about climate change?
2: Yeah. Yes, it was about <laughs> climate change. What did it have to climate, say on change, climate change? Climate change, bad solutions to it potentially bad. People who care about it bad. Um, but killing people is cool if you do it very stylishly
1: it seems like this approach to the war on drugs then
2: yeah like drugs <laughs> yeah. themselves are bad but we need to have empathy for drug users but also seeking to legalize drugs is nefarious in some way on like, par with it's, cannibalism it's, uh, there's also cannibalism in this movie like as soon as I got to the cannibalism parts of my notes I knew that this would be more <laughs> off the wall than I thought it was going into it
1: did they honestly thought the, the cannibalism thing was just to make her seem evil? Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. And I think it was because her, her plan is to somewhat cr- cruelly, like, ransom drug prohibition. So they're like, we need to make sure everyone knows she's evil. So let's have her eat. A- After she reads her own character summary, let's have her make a guy eat another guy. A guy. So that when she tries to get drug prohibition, we all know she's evil.
0: A guy who she inducts into her golden circle, and they make kind of a big deal about, like, About who this guy is. And then two scenes later, he's killed um, by her. He got got
1: recruited to show what happens to recruits who don't cooperate.
0: Yeah. Like it's, it's, but the, the weird thing is he was recruited in a scene in which we get shown what happens to people who don't cooperate. So why? (laughs) Like it's the perfect microcosm of this whole movie. There's there's something that's set up and then it's discarded two scenes later. Like it's just, this isn't important anymore. It's the whole movie in a nutshell.
2: This yeah. is why the golden circle needs to move to Zip Recruiter to find the best candidates for the job because clearly uh, the sort of
0: recommendation
2: <laughs> system is not working for them. And uh, yeah, like, I mean, it is sort of like an inverse save the cat thing that you want to have with a villain, either a note of like ambiguity or like, oh, they're so twisted, they're so sinister. But there's like 19 layers of evil and quirkiness that's put on her. And she's also like, oh, I also turn human beings into food and then serve them to my employees. But they're still loyal to me for some reason. And it's like, she has no bodyguards also. It's just like, she's just alone in that diner. It's just like, eat this man. No, well, I do not. I, I would she, not like to eat the burger. Thank you. She does have two robot dogs. Oh, that's I forgot about the robots. There's also robots in this movie. Yeah, there is robots. Ro- ro- robot <laughs> That dogs, was a trip that was a trip for me
3: because I thought I had I thought I had seen and understood the scope of Kingsman and when there were like tons of robots running around, I was like I was, I was like, I really don't remember the first one at all. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And I, I do think the first film did have a villain problem. Uh, like Samuel L. Jackson just does have a lisp uh, and then is trying to be like evil Mark Zuckerberg, which I think is just a template for a lot of like very boring uh, blockbuster films. But he never really does anything individually evil to make you hate him. Uh, he just sort of walks around and talks about his plan. So I think they tried to remedy that problem in this film. And... Uh do far uh, the other way. They, well, he yeah. does shoot Colin Firth in the face though, right? He does That's shoot true. Colin Firth in <laughs> the face. Like at the end of the film when right. it's just like I never really bought him as a villain. He was just like a bored guy with too much money, which I mean, folks, don't want to get into it, but um yeah, it didn't work for me in that film. Uh really didn't work for me in this one. I, I
1: just for for um journalistic scruples. Was there anything
0: we liked about this?
1: Let's discuss what what worked, what we did like.
0: There are things that I like about this movie. Um, I do kind of like that the, um, that the American president, when uh, given the ultimatum by Poppy, like I will kill every drug user in the world unless you lift drug prohibition is like, well, I guess I just won the war on drugs. Let him die. And I was like, okay, yeah, I buy that. Number (laughs) two, uh, number two, I like that Eggsy hooked up with the princess from the first movie that he that he hooked up with at the end of the first movie, that they're still together. And that is actually a through line in this film. I like I think that's well done. It would have been it would have been real easy for this movie to forget about her as just like a James Bond girl. But the fact that they were like, no, they met in the last movie. They slept together and that's turned into a lasting thing. Okay, movie, I'll 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 grant you that.
1: Sure, though, much like it was just discussed, a lot of things get introduced and then immediately discarded. Their relationship and any hurdles it experiences in this movie no longer a consequence. Uh, not, not really. A, yeah, it, so they set it up and then discard it.
0: Um, there are some. There are some decent action beats. I like the idea of the statesman. Um, the movie has has bones. It's got some good ideas, but it's it just fails to execute on any of them, And it has too many ideas. And one of the big issues, and this might be tiptoeing into things that I want to change, is that it's really, really hung up on trying to get Colin Firth back to life. And mm-hmm. that really muddies things up a lot.
2: I do have a selection of things that I enjoyed about Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Um, <laughs> one very specific thing, I thought Eggsy's orange coat at the beginning of the movie, a phenomenal look and Taron Edgerton pulls it off spectacularly. Um, yeah. The man can wear a suit. Oh, he looks absolutely gorgeous in this film. Um, speaking of people looking gorgeous i thought roxy from the first movie uh in this film when she finally gets to wear the suit and the glasses a great look because uh i think there's there's definitely a i mean this movie these the series has a problem with gender um where the first movie sets it up like this is an old boys club like this is like the british aristocracy and they have this problem of moving on but now they have this like you know chav agent and also a woman and it's just like no this is normal this is cool i'm like those are dynamics that i wish were explored a little bit more but uh we don't because they all blow up um i really liked the idea of a uh applicant to kingsman who was rejected turning bad uh i think that's a fantastic premise for a villain Uh, I think they could even be the main villain because it taps Uh, into, I I don't want to get into too much, but, uh, yeah, I thought the idea of that was cool. The Statesman also, very cool concept. I always love the sort of, uh, Earth 2 version of things, right? Where it's like, (laughs) oh, it's everything like you do, but slightly different. Now we've just themed everything around drinks. Um, I don't really, I, I think they could have been a bit more creative with the names for their agents, um... That's a minor note compared to everything else in the film. Um, but I also, yeah, I really like the cast. Um, I think that especially Taryn Edgerton is doing a great job. He clearly very cares. Uh, cares a lot about the series. I think he's delivering a good good, uh, good turn. And like, yeah, the Statesman, they've got... The, the sky is dark for all the stars are here. Um, but they have nothing to do.
3: I... I think I'm going to say something slightly controversial in that I liked Elton John in this movie. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like the few times that I was, uh, genuinely laughing and, and having a good time. His, uh, his action scene at the end was great. He had a, had a great mugging of the camera while he's giving a guy a huge jump kick. And I, and I liked that quite a bit. Um, yeah, that's, that's my one, um, oasis in this film.
2: Shockingly, I have to agree. I was quite pleased with Elton John amidst everything else happening in this movie, seeing one of, you know, planet Earth's bright lights, uh, Elton John, shine <laughs> on screen. Uh, and I think him yelling at the person to, like, get out of his room uh, when she was doing her villainous uh, video. One of the only times in the movie I laughed. So, thank yeah, you, Sir Elton.
1: Like the best joke in that movie. <laughs> I liked... Julianne Moore. I I don't like her character, but I liked Julianne Moore in this movie because I like Julianne Moore in every movie. Legit, um, and her and her weird, her weird like I've taken over the airwaves and this is my threat video. <clears throat> in in and of itself, was sort of entertaining. So
2: very Adam West Batman. Uh, if she was in a green leotard with question marks on it, uh, it wouldn't be much different.
0: Yeah, actually, it would make her make a lot more sense if she was in a 1960s <laughs> episode a of, of uh, Batman. Yeah, Just a couple more Dutch angles and like a pow and a wham when they're fighting her. Perfect. Uh-huh. I think that would have made this
2: film 10, heck 15% better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Um...
3: One of the reviews I read said that um, the tone of the movie is like for everything to be insane, but they they play it straight the whole time or 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 at least take it seriously. And I actually I think that might be part of the movie's downfall is like there there are a lot of things that are patently absurd in this movie. That would be more fun if if we got more acknowledgement that they were absurd. Like I, I think of the, the ski lift scene where they're where they're going down the ski lift and for some reason this gondola um not only is it like a big sphere but like it has like the capability of spinning so fast <laughs> yeah. that the g-forces will will knock you out <laughs> and like and, and 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 on top of that it had it ha, it's remotely controlled by the villain's ipad well like that is, that is some deep intuition there to, to, to think <laughs> that to, to have like some sort of like a uh, Bond esque death trap that you can throw your your villains into when they're trying to escape, <laughs> full, or your heroes into rather.
0: Full disclosure: when that uh, ski chalet lair appeared for the first time on screen, I was like, "Wow, did Poppy sublet from Blofeld?"
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got so excited because, okay, I'm a huge James Bond fan on Her Majesty's uh-huh. Secret Service is one of my say, favorite saying- Bond movies. So uh, the the previous movie, they went to the mountains, and using my Bond brain, I'm like, they can't repeat locations that frequently. You got to wait at least a film to go back to the snow. But they go back to the snow in this movie, and it is basically, um, you know, the, the mountain the, research facility, yeah. and... uh yeah, I was waiting for more excitement there, uh, and I certainly didn't get it. Um, but I, the locations, I generally liked. I think the order of them is a bit off because I think a nice, you know, if they just copy and pasted at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service and made it a bit weirder, I would be a very happy customer. But I didn't get that.
3: How did, how did you feel about the 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 fifties quirk of Julianne Moore's character? Because like, it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with anything does it nope it doesn't
2: it's a hat on a hat personally like (laughs) she's both living in undiscovered ruins which i mean you can problematize that and also has built a 1950s nostalgia town on it um not good pick one kidnapped a pop star from the 70s yeah look where's dean martin yeah where's Where's dino Yeah. I mean you're
3: arguing you're you're arguably like she's she's a fan of the era that's con- like uh, like it's not it's sort of considered to be more straight-laced, you know? Like if you're if she was a big fan of drugs, like wouldn't like 60s and 70s be her thing?
1: Yeah. Also I yeah, it's also weird that she sells
2: both uh marijuana and heroin and meth. Like they're all the same. Oh yeah, yes. she she's controlled all the entire world's drug supply very importantly yeah. they say that like the entire yeah. planet's cartels everybody answers to her a singular white woman living in Cambodia
0: <laughs> now does this mean does this mean that uh, all legal drugs are also run by the golden circle then if i go to a legal dispensary in canada am i buying her product in this world I just have to assume there might be
2: some crossover, you know, ingredients (laughs) wise. Um, But, uh, you know, did she create one of the vaccines? Great question. Would she create one with her (laughs) massive influence? Who's to say? She,
1: She has drones that she can ship them all out. To, to whoever she wants she could yeah I,
2: I dare see say we could have
3: used a uh, a poppy in the pandemic era <laughs> who had you know vaccine di- distribution down on lock you know
0: <laughs> it, antidotes uh, ready to go yeah and stockpiles in major cities all around the world
2: yeah, yeah. very convenient very equitable distribution yeah. it is funny watching this movie during a pandemic where they're like the hospitals <laughs> are full uh yeah you know, and then like evil president is just like yeah we're just gonna bring in martial law and everyone's gonna live in a fema camp now and it's just like that's this is like a the alex jones version of a pandemic response which i think is pretty funny
1: (laughs) yeah uh, i sort of joked off the top that this movie has a a very masculine perspective and i understand the first one am i to understand then it was about a boys club opening itself up to low-class people and women is that more or less the rub
2: I, so, it, yes, pretty much. Um, cool. I, th- like, the main theme of the first film is, like, British classism, where <laughs> uh, you get that Eggsy has to live in two worlds. He has a horrible home life with an abusive stepfather, and his mom is in a bad way. Um, he's low income, and now he's, like, transported into this world where he gets to wear a nice suit and, like, anything's possible, Um and that is dropped like a hot potato for this movie. Yeah. Like, I thought that it made sense as the through line for a series. Like, you know, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of meat on that bone, but, uh, nope. He is now like royalty <laughs> at the end of this film. So, yeah. uh, what can you do?
1: Um, sweet. So, yeah. Cause I also wanted to see how maybe that stacked up against the, 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 very strange scene where he needs to plant a tracking device on a woman at a music festival in just like, I okay, <laughs> hang on, hang on. I want to get this thought out before we go, before we get into this weird tracking device thing. Yeah. Growing up, I love the Simpsons and a through line on all Simpsons episodes is they will make fun of Fox, right? They'll make fun of the Fox network. And I never really got it as a kid. Cause I didn't understand the nuance that like Fox as a network and as a brand make a lot of trash this movie is a 20th century Fox production. Um, It is a very Fox movie. Um, And so to that end, that is my only explanation as to why this scene happened. Because like all my instincts say like my my notes want to be like, cut it, don't do it. But it's like, but then it wouldn't be a Fox movie if they didn't (laughs) plant a tracking device on a woman by having someone finger her.
0: I will, I will say this and I'm, I'm not trying to defend the scene. But there's mm-hmm. it's a trope in spy movies, especially male fantasy spy movies, that yeah. the, the spy sleeps with the girl, right? Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate that this movie subverted that by having him actually be in a relationship and being conflicted about needing to do the thing and being loyal to his woman. And that is that was an interesting idea and again this is another example of the movie has some interesting ideas and does not execute well on them
1: and that's mm-hmm. the thing the, the say, i don't want to sound like a prude because again what i'm about to suggest is antithetical to the company that makes it but they could have had all the things you just described but if it was like the the tracking device was on his tongue and he just had to make out with her we didn't need a camera shot Going up the vagina, like up the vaginal canal, and into her
0: bloodstream. Again, I'm not defending. I I,
3: I screamed (laughs) "Wow!" out loud several times while that that particular camera shot was happening because, like, it just it kept like (laughs) you know it was just it was that and the the hero swell music that really pissed me off. Yeah, they hear it so amazing. Like as if yeah, as if like cuz it's like cuz the whole that. scene is like he's like the the idea of the scene is that he kind of like he's trying to convince his would-be wife that hey, can I sleep with this woman, you know, for the good of mankind? To guess, save the world, whatever. yeah. But, yeah, but like you know, he he's the crux of it is like he's basically made a mistake because he's he's not, you know, he's he's unsure about his commitment to her. So then, so when it gets to him, you know, just going through with it, like the idea that they would juxtapose that with like a hero swell as dun, dun, if he dun, did dun, the dun, right dun, thing. Dun, dun, and then of course dun. how, how gross that whole scene is on top of it, It's just like it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know that there's been a single s- a scene in a movie that's made me that angry that quickly before.
2: I yeah. think uh, my, my, very specific issue uh with that scene is like i think in a spy film and you're right i i liked the inversion of it where like he is concerned about his home life uh and like an actual relationship and like how that would affect you know his emotional life but i think the it really really rubs me the wrong way because they just they take they, they make it more evil, essentially. Like, if it was just a classic spy thing of, like, I need to seduce this person to get information out of them, mm-hmm. I'd be perfectly fine with it. And then you have that sort of, like, romance, right? Or maybe it's a setting thing that you can change. But instead, like, it is, like, an invasion of her body that's required yep. for yeah. the, the mission to proceed. And I, I feel like that's just very sinister and it's it is played off as this like epic moment right where it's like oh i guess you didn't see this coming in this film it's like i wish i didn't you know i wish it wasn't in the film yeah
3: like like to me like it the end like it just the end of it just turned it into a rape scene yeah i was like this is fucking this is incredible i can't believe this is
0: happening yeah. And again, I I cannot underscore enough. I was not defending the scene. Oh, yeah. I I merely oh, was stating we, that well, I understand <laughs> the intention of the scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. For sure, for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're uh, on notice. Can, <laughs> you're canceled. Can you also just oh just no.
1: be, Imagine being the like CGI graphics department guy who gets this request come through where it's like, all right, we need uh, CGI belly button, CGI panties, and then the camera's gonna go. Up oh, the do you CGI. think that
2: was CGI? Yeah, I I I think so. Yeah, uh, even
1: her hand going down the belly button or his hand, it all looked, it all looked. Yeah. Okay. CGI.
2: You have to work on that for six months. Like, (laughs) just can I get a break? It's
1: going.
0: That's on someone's (laughs) demo reel. Oh no.
2: Her
1: goosebumps are not titillated enough. She's into it. Get me those goosebumps.
0: (laughs) Matthew is not pleased uh,
2: with uh, (laughs) you know the panty, the fabric, uh, you know. You, you better shape. You better shape up over this, or they're going to have to go to some other extremely low-cost uh, CG production house that is, of course, non-unionized that, that will-, will shut down a few months after the film is done. You beat me to the punchline. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: well, on on that, then I think it's uh, time we we uh, hear from our pals of the Alberta Podcast Network and come back with some like fixes? Question mark. I this f- fixing this movie. It seems less like making it good and more like getting a drunk buddy up off the floor and home safely like we're going to fix we're going to fix him up we're going to make sure he's you know able to
0: stand on two legs anyway we'll be back in a second Taproot publishes weekly roundups on a variety of topics, including media, food, tech, health innovation, arts, music, regional news, business, and city council. Taproot's curators gather up the headlines and happenings on these files and deliver them directly to your inbox. You can get one or two for free. If you want more, become a Taproot member, then you can get as many as you want, plus other perks, for just $10 a month or $100 a year. Get more information right now at taprootedmonton.ca
1: welcome back to i have some notes we are talking kingsman the golden circle we're joined by evan mcdonald of the kino lefter podcast can uh, what, what do we got to, to fix this movie i i'm not even sure i want to engage with actually no that's not true um i have i have notes i have notes but they feel futile like I have true <laughs> script notes and thoughts on how to how to like tighten up certain things but I almost like don't want the movie to have them. I don't <laughs> There's this, good movies get notes. You you would go sit in the corner.
0: This movie is very bloated and uh it it can use a lot of fat trimming and I think one of the things that is very glaring in this film and I almost hate to say it is that the movie's very hung up on bringing Colin Firth's Harry back to life. And they're willing to kill off all of the rest of the Kingsmen to do it. And that is terrible. That's a terrible idea. And I think that my big fix for this movie is don't bring Harry back to life. He's dead. Yeah. Like that, he served his purpose in the first movie. And the movie gets more interesting if part of Eggsy's journey in this movie is trying to prove to himself and prove in a way to the other Kingsmen, though he doesn't really need to, that he is a worthy successor to Harry's legacy. you could still have Colin Firth in the movie and some flashbacks like they have at the beginning of the movie with him learning like table manners, but you don't need to actually have him physically come back to life. And I think that a lot of the stuff that Harry does in the film could be filled in by a different character named Roxy, who you don't fridge at the beginning of the movie.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, I I mostly agree with that. I want Roxy back. I had a maybe sort of a twisted note for Colin Firth. Uh, I think you can bring him back but he's evil this time. Uh, I think Colin Firth as uh, as a villain character uh, in this film would be interesting. I was trying to use Last Jedi logic for like what's one of the biggest challenges that Eggsy is facing in his life. And he it is like his difficulty with his father figures. Um, obviously his father is dead. He has a bad stepfather. And then he finds this like, replacement figure in Colin Firth but like having Eggsy having to define himself uh on his own terms as opposed to you know his relationship with Colin Firth and trying to please him uh I think that would be fun but much less Colin Firth that also ties into my other note I think you could easily have uh like they they tease the golden circle as this organization like it's a shadowy organization that they that they don't know about make it a kooky version of specter uh i i it's it's right there on the table if they want to do this thing where like they they lampshade it in uh secret service we're doing fun james bond movies i think it's great if they're just like here's our generic bad guy group and then like colin firth is recruited there for mysterious reasons that you can play with in another film but that's my i i like colin yeah so i don't want him fully
0: out I well again, you can have them in flashbacks. I, I kind of like your idea, but I think that we could we can we can marry our two ideas. Um it would be it would serve a similar narrative purpose for Eggsy if he's still dead. But Eggsy's really got him up on a pedestal because he is his replacement father figure. And what if during the course of this movie he learns that there's some stuff in Harry's past that's actually pretty terrible? And and as he learns that, it kind of tarnishes the uh, the the pedestal that he's got him on. And in the end, he has to learn to um, – he has to come to grips with the fact that Harry wasn't perfect and that he made mistakes. But in turn, that can prove growth for him, that that his mistakes don't make him unworthy of Harry's legacy because they're both kind of the same dude. Um, they're both imperfect humans. I think that there's something that could be mined there as well. Mm-hmm. And then you can still have some flashbacks of Colin Firth doing some truly heinous stuff, but, but for the good of the nation, Mm -hmm. I think you're,
1: you are correct. And that is how you handle Harry. If someone from the the studio comes down and it's like, no, it's in Colin Firth's contract. He's got to be in the movie. We figured out this gel thing to fix his bullet through his head. May put him somewhere in there. He's already kind of under statesman care. And they didn't know, like, quote-unquote, who he belonged to, right? Um, So what if they just, like, when we meet him, now he's Statesman Harry. He's been recruited into Statesman, and he's got a cowboy hat, and he's no longer the British gentleman we knew and loved. He's a Statesman agent now. And you can pull him out in the third act as a reveal and a, like, uh, a deus ex machina or whatever. Like, this extra agent we didn't know we had is here. And he's a cowboy, but he's also forth. That uh, I think only, you guys are correct. Don't, don't I, have only, back,
0: back at all, but like, if you had to, do it that way. Uh, if we had to, my only caveat is that he would have to be speaking with a terrible southern accent. Like, a terrible mm. put-on southern accent.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that's uh, that's definitely a big a big note, and it would, it would cut down a lot of time. Also, if you wanted to cut down some time, the whole thing with the guy who gets recruited, stamped as a golden circle, forced to eat a people hamburger,
0: and then eaten by and dogs, and does
1: <clears throat> some drugs so he gets kicked out, that cut all that. It yeah. Just doesn't need to be
0: there. Why did the movie introduce a lawyer who looks like Mark Strong and then not have Mark Strong impersonate the lawyer? Why why did they do that? Why what oh. that's another thing that the movie just didn't do anything with.
3: Didn't didn't uh, they though? I thought that was I thought that's no, who th- they it turns, that's who they thought he
0: was when Yeah, when it turns first... into a joke, but it doesn't actually forward the narrative in any way. Right. Well that's, well that's why they don't shoot him right away right again it's it's just a joke it <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it would have been better if Mark strong had been able to use his uncanny resemblance to Poppy's lawyer to get into the facility sure yeah as opposed to I stepped on a landmine three seconds later and now I'm dead yeah, yeah I've been I've dreamed of being in the field well I made it 10 feet
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I've noticed a couple times that this this movie wanted to have a have a moment where the analyst, Uh, I guess three times, right? The analyst got to be a proper Kingsman, uh, or Statesman. Right. Um, you know, if that was your, if that was your through line, then like, it might be fun to have Poppy be that person who is the, the rejected agent or whatever. Right. And then, you know, we could, you know, we could play with the, the gender politics of it all, uh, through her, um, Um, so at least it would be, at least it would be, give her some proper motivation. I mean, obviously the drug stuff is wild and crazy. And like, and I, I, I think for me, the, the, the revenge plot was enough. Like if she was, if she was just out to get the Kingsman, um, and, and just considered it her life's goal to just like sort of end the organization altogether, you know, especially like if, if. She destroys one organization and then it turns out, ah, fuck, there's another one. There's in the United States. I got another one. I got to go destroy this one. Right. Like that's perfect motivation for a continuance of her villainy. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you
0: can still have the, uh, the rejected guy from the first movie in there because she could be actively recruiting other agents who have been rejected by the organization. yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's just like an organization just sort of like built up of like the uh, of rejects or whatever. Yeah, you know, I mean, I the guess B team. It, it,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, was there even a reason for her, drug lord of the world, to worry about Kingsmen, but not statesmen, by way of hiring a henchman who knew about Kingsmen? Because like his whole thing is like he gets, he hacks them, he kills them all, and then he, you know, dusts his hands like he got revenge on Kingsmen to to what end does that help poppy i guess cuz i think what's wild about that is like they they don't even know who she is
3: she's not yeah. it's not a, she's not even on the Kingsman radar yeah and her yeah. fucking blows them her all up her blowing
0: them all up <laughs> is what puts her on their radar <laughs>
2: I think um, if you're familiar, again, I read too many comic books. If you're familiar with either the Justice League story Tower of Babel or its animated adaptation Justice League Doom, it sort of revolves around Batman like prying too much into the lives of his fellow Justice Leaguers and coming up with like plans to defeat them. Then they fall into the wrong hands. And I felt like there, there was the the skeleton of that story here where like they failed to find this like hand and then it hacks into their database and then it knows all of the private information of their agents like their addresses are in there and then they're all taken out like i feel like they you could have complicated the merlin figure by going like merlin you know why do you why do you keep all this or something right or it's like oh in case you ever went rogue we needed to know how to take out the kingsman and then it's like Maybe he could be on some redemption arc maybe maybe he's secretly bad. I don't know but oh, it's I still- like
3: that a lot There's there's like there's a there's a kind of a a reasonable reasonable it would be reasonable for someone to do that like this is a secret organization. it's a rogue organization like I you know I feel like this has to be here in order to keep you folks in check I think that's that's a really interesting angle Evan
1: uh, and you know who I'd actually rather see have that because I also might might is maybe a Pedro Pascal is Mm. that's his thing, because his motivation for betrayal as it stands now is nothing and stupid. So, So like your thought, and it does make more sense for, like, the analyst to have a bunch of secret weird files, but Pedro Caspell needs an actual motivation, which he does not have, so I'd like to borrow that, please, and give it to my pal Pedro. Um legit. The only one I could come up with that was better, because this whole thing was like, if all the drug users die, then liquor sales will go up. That's his reason <laughs> for betrayal. Stupid as hell. So at the, I like this better, but what I had on paper was um, that he should, realizing what Julianne's worst plan is, and that she's, she's literally got everything from marijuana to meth on lockdown, he should want to be like, can I sell you Statesman?" Especially now that Kingsman is destroyed, you now own a very profitable liquor company, the one drug you don't control. Uh, and this weird secret service you know to to back up your robot bodyguard dogs that was my my pitch to make his thing better but i think uh i, I like maybe having him do what we discussed there the 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 batman doomsday or batman doom uh, plot and also would be a better betrayal for him
2: your suggestion also ties into a great movie trope, like New Management, right? Which they, mm-hmm. they tap into at the beginning of this. Like Dumbledore runs Kingsman now, but he just shows up as a cameo and he's like, Oh shit, I'm dead. So I feel like the the actual structures of Kingsman and Statesman, I I don't know. I like lore. I like world building. So when you mm-hmm. like the movie wants you to be interested in in these like entities because they're like, Oh, look at all of their cool code names. Look at all these props and the set dressing that we have. Ooh, isn't this interesting? I I feel like it it wasn't all there for me, especially because they just do it at like the lowest possible level. It's like, Mm -hmm. ah, the Kingsman makes suits. We do alcohol and we're just named different kinds of alcohol. Like they're just named tequila and agent whiskey. Like come on, not not even cocktail names. Like that would be that would be slightly classier, I uh, think. Tom Collins um, a- Agent like zero proof or something. That sounds way cooler <laughs> than like agent beer. Here's um, an Agent
0: Old Fashioned.
2: That, that's fine. I don't oh, Old mind fashioned that.
0: should be the guy in charge. That should be champ. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that this is a structural
2: thing, um, but one of my favorite movies is uh, for a few dollars more, uh, the Spaghetti Western. And it has the perfect structure for this movie where two bounty hunters who don't like each other need to, you know, learn to play nice and go after the same target. That's what this movie should have been also mission impossible fallout has the same thing where it's like, ah, two spies from two different organizations have to work together. Everybody loves this storytelling device. If everybody's just me, but like the, the (laughs) statesman Kingsman cross cultural thing doesn't go far enough because on some level, uh, like especially the marketing, this was marketed as like, ah, Britain and the United States, they're two very different countries. And now we're going to compare and contrast them and it's going to be fun. But the the actual, like, agents having to work together part of it, not very present. Like, sometimes it's just the Kingsmen working together, and I'm like, like, when they're flying on the plane, and they're just on a Statesman plane, and they're like, oh, thanks to Statesman for giving us the plane, what if there was a character they could have interacted with, with, like, a <laughs> different perspective? It, it just feels like a baseline storytelling thing, but then I was thinking, like, maybe the actors they got, their schedules are literally so busy that yeah. they wrote scenes, but it's like, we can't have anyone from the statesman's side in this scene. So you're just going to be like, man, wish they were here. Wouldn't that be an interesting film? <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> just
3: seems like they had Halle Berry for like a day, right? <laughs> that, they just uh, like knocked out all those scenes and
0: away we went. Uh, that that setup works though, because then you, you get more time with presumably Agent Whiskey. Um, and you can build up trust between him and Eggsy over the course of the film. And I I had mentioned before that a lot of Harry's purpose in the film, in the latter part of the film, when he becomes himself again, could be filled by Roxy. And I -hmm. think that that works here. You could have her because she's not in the field. She was maybe injured during the attack on Kingsman. She's not ready to go out in the field yet again. So she's hanging back at headquarters with Merlin. And she begins to suspect that Whiskey's up to something. And she's trying to sell Eggsy on that, but she's back home. He's out with Whiskey, who's kicking butt and, and fighting bad guys. And he's like... I think that you're just jealous that I'm rolling with this guy now. And that in, there's a plot. And then, of course, it turns out mm-hmm. she was right. He's actually a double agent or he's working his own agenda, presumably still. And uh, that turns into a confrontation there. And Eggsy once again is like, oh, Roxy, it turns out you've you've got my back like you always do. And I was a fool. And, and I'm glad that exactly. you weren't stuffed in this fridge at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Good, good call all around put that on the notes board
1: um i got another one if we just keep kind of moving, yeah, moving through these because again i don't want to like get precious about this because like none of these fix the movie <laughs> It don't no. it is t- like tonally like it is like cr- like it is corrupt in its core <laughs> like <laughs> um just the whole obnoxious tone of it but um for for, for script writing stuff I, it's a fun exercise um There was also, I didn't, like, of all the things this movie sets up and then discards, one of the ones I found the most egregious was he's having dinner with Tildy and her parents, he's crushing it on the, like, geopolitical chit-chat with her dad, and then when he has to start talking to his buddy through the glasses, oh, he was weird at dinner that never has any consequences. That doesn't, like, change the perspective of this, this Swedish king no, has on him. it's just a gag. So I think, it's just a gag. Make, give that any legs by having that be, like, the first thing he does weird. Then he's got to rush off. Then he's got to kiss or maybe, unfortunately, finger some lady at a music festival. And, like, all of his weird behavior between yelling at his glasses and fingering the lady at the music festival cause Tildy to be upset with him. Mm-hmm. And before they can resolve it, She gets drug-paralyzed. Now you've got romantic conflict.
2: I think that ties into uh, one of, like... I, it's tough to say one of the weaker aspects of the movie because it's all pretty bad. Um, but the, the Tildy romance stuff is definitely like a B-plot to the film, but they try to intersect it into the A-plot by having her be affected by the drug virus because there's also a virus that went along with all of the drugs because we can't just pick one thing. Um, <laughs> so I think the much more interesting way to tie... Tildy or Tild, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, into the story is to have her parents be like in cahoots with the Golden Circle organization because you play into the classism aspect of this, like different generations, and then, oh, they're going to take over the royalty afterwards. And it's like, ooh, what's, is this a good thing for Kingsman because he's struggling? Like, oh, am I allowed to have a relationship? But what if the higher ups are like, oh, this is actually very politically beneficial for us to like, you know, be ensconced in some royal family, but the parents are like, we don't know if we're supposed to, we only dislike them, or at least the father on the level of like, he's mean to Eggsy, but I think like, that could be another interesting source of tension in the movie, as opposed to there's a dinner scene, they go away for an hour and 15 minutes, and then oh no, she's turning blue, and then everything's fine at the end, and they have a wedding. Like, I think that could have been a more... A more interesting b-plot could have had some meat on the bones but that also ties into like you know theoretically we were promised at the beginning of the movie like the kingsmen are going up against a a shadowy organization no one knows anything about but it is just julianne moore like why does she brand all of her troops if it's like just her like if she was part of a larger thing you know, I think that's good franchise filmmaking generally. Uh, and if they are making bond ripoff movies, that's just what the bond movies did. And it worked very well for them. So Mm -hmm. take that note. it the golden circle.
1: Yeah. secret society is, is very like weird in scope. And I mean
0: the, the most successful conspiracy is a conspiracy of one. I will say that. Hmm. And Apparently that killed the conversation. <laughs>
1: no, no, I was just going to say Greg, did you have a, did you have point. any notes? I like
0: think we've all we've all weighed in on what we'd
1: fix or change. Uh no, I had I just kind of talked about the
3: adding some gender politics into it, but I don't really I said in our chat that like uh, we often get people joking around with this like um, X movie is unfixable, and I think this is the first time that I would have actually agreed with that. Like I just like there's just I don't know, like without tearing it right down to its bones, like there's, there's so much, um, it's not just that, um, it's a bad movie on uh, just as it's, as it's written, but it's also like, it's a lot of garbage that just like, isn't appealing to me. So I'd like, mm -hmm. I would have to think about like how I would, I like, I'm not much of a bond person to begin with. So you know, like it's not enough of a Bond parody for me to be like, "Hey, yeah, Bond sucks," and like that kind of stuff, right? Like, it needs, it needs more. It just it needs to take itself way less seriously, but also, you know, um, maybe tone everything down a whole yeah. lot. And I, I like, I want, I did not like the first one either, so it was like, there's not much. There, what there just isn't much for me to grab onto. Like, I, yeah.
0: For the record, if you're looking for an excellent parody of James Bond seek out OSS 117 Cairo nest of spies. Uh, It is a French film. Uh, It is very, very good. It stars uh, Jean Dujardin uh, from the artist. So you know that it's going to be excellent and it nails it right down to the film grain and the shooting like day for night and like all of the old Sean Connery, like it looks like an old Sean Connery bond film and it is a, Total deconstruction of the misogyny and the stupidity of James Bond. And it is mm, chef's kiss. Seek it out.
1: Yeah, this this
0: seems to more almost like revel in it than. Uh, for sure. Like this is a celebration up. of those tropes. It's not a deconstruction of those tropes. Yeah. That's Which a good is, way to put it. And,
2: oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. Go, okay. And that's really fascinating because, especially in the first film, uh, there's so much meta commentary. Generally, I am. Not a fan of it in my movies because they were trying to go like, yeah, this is James Bond, but it's way better, uh, which I would have to say they did not accomplish. Um, But if and there are some inversions uh, here, like they have skis with them to set up. Oh, there's going to be an interesting ski action scene like in some of the Bond movies. But instead we get a bloated CGI like amusement park ride which I think is, like, categorically worse. Um, So they're, like, both trying to poke fun at, like, the roots of this genre while, like, like going, like, worse politically and also worse action-wise because, like, there are some moments... I was trying to find, like, the moments of practical effects because a big highlight of the Bond films is, like, doing things for real. Like, most of the time, like, there are actual stunt performers doing you know, the action sequences. But I think because of like Matthew Vaughn's very stylized approach to this, there's just, the action has less impact than, it's like, you can only see like 50 people get shot in increasingly brutal ways um, to make it interesting. Also, I don't think there's like any gore in this film. There was blood and gore in the first Kingsman movie, which I think set it apart because it was trying to be R-rated. This one, it feels PG-13, so I feel yeah. like that's the yeah, other than
1: the legs the legs in the meat grinder, I think you're right.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. there's no blood in, there's no really blood
3: in that scene either. Like there there's even a there's even a point at which the guy's clothes are coming out one end and hamburgers coming out the other, which I don't know how that works, but like <laughs> and it was not bloody clothes either.
0: Yeah, the, the movie is uh surprisingly cartoonish with its violence in a way that um, the first Kingsman, I feel, wasn't, and I think that, uh, yeah,
1: ties to so. Sorry, something Greg, Greg had said something at the top that I, I, I liked when you were like, "Oh, it's like it's a bad movie." It, it because I was asking you, like what your fix was, and you are like, "It's just a lot of garbage," and that's it's why I started off with an apology to so many other <laughs> movies because a lot of those movies were bad or like failed to do what they set out to do or made poor choices. This movie is full of garbage like it like that's what i mean like the, the the attitude of it and the the like what it values and what it wants to put front and center and what it feels is lower priority is trash like it's true i i've i've struggled not struggled but like been made the choice in my time as host here to try not to describe movies as stupid mm-hmm. cuz i think it's really lazy criticism but i this movie is stupid <laughs> it is it, it, it Again, it's a Fox movie. It was very Fox. But let's hear what you guys had to say. Uh, our our uh, uh, listeners, uh, of course, weigh in. Um, if you have any suggestions for us, please hit it up. This whole season, we are taking your suggestions. Um, and thank you to Michael Davis, uh, nonetheless, for making us watch this uh, and having us watch this. Uh, I hope you're not... I, I hope you wanted us to watch it because it was such a, a, a flop, and not because you love it and wanted to because it <laughs> it. if so, that's the case, I'm very in which
3: sorry. case we're sorry, <laughs> sorry, we're <Michael>. sorry,
2: <laughs> sorry, Michael, um, or you're welcome, <laughs> or yeah.
1: Um, but nevertheless, we've got some comments from you whenever we solicit them on our Facebook and Twitter at I Have Some Notes or on Instagram at I Have Some Notes Pod. You drop the comments, we'll read them, like I'm about to do now. Uh, Olav rockney says. Okay, to start with, remember what worked in the first movie. Fundamentally, the first movie was about class snobbery. It's about rich people who have a disdain for the working class, Eggsy and his classmates, the plan of uh, Richmond Valentine, etc. Double down on that theme, Olav says. Eggsy has gone up in the organization, he's proven himself repeatedly, but the founders of Kingman don't see him as one of the good old boys. That's your B-plot source of conflict. Uh, but have the class in the class, but the class and classism has to be in the story. Um, remember, Eggsy is also now a public figure, and since he's a commoner who's dating uh, Tildy, the Crown Prince of Sweden. and as Megan will tell you, the tabloids have a peculiar relationship with commoners who date royalty. So there's your C plot. The tabloids are targeting them. So that leaves the A plot. Uh, in the first movie, it was a spin on the old James Bond plot, the movie uh, Moonraker specifically. Second movie, attempted to do uh, the classic Thunderball plot. Didn't really work in the B and C plots. Uh, he, so Olaf is suggesting tomorrow never dies as the as the plot. Uh, try to keep it set mostly in the UK, since the whole rival service in the UK really contradicts the whole point of a stateless spy agency, which I would agree with. Uh, and then Olaf also uh, agreed with you there, uh, Scott. Don't need to bring Colin Firth back. So undermines go. his sacrifice.
0: Olaf, you put a lot of thought into this. Um <laughs> And you came up with a better movie, <laughs> frankly.
2: <laughs> Matthew Vaughn is calling you. Pick up the phone. They need to figure out what they're doing after The King's Man,
0: which, to be fair, I am going to watch. Like uh, me too. Yes. <laughs> uh. Is that
3: is that also a Matthew Vaughn joint, or is they they've moved on from him? No, it's okay.
2: he's back in the director's chair for both The King's Man and Kingsman Three, which oh, is really? happening. <gasps> Oh boy,
3: I was looking through his filmography, and I, d- I discovered that um, I don't like almost any of his movies. I haven't seen Layer, Layer Cake. I liked good. Layer Cake. I
0: actually just watched it recently, and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, mm. But, I mean, uh, I, the, call like, me, isn't ca- it? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, like, f- X-Men First Class is, like, probably, for me, I think it's the worst x-men movie maybe aside from dark phoenix really and, you liked it and, worse
0: than dark phoenix i find that <laughs> shocking
3: <laughs> it's not no i just i said probably dark phoenix is worse but i did not like first class at all and i didn't yeah i wasn't i, I just yeah i think like kick-ass is probably the only movie that i liked of his and that's uh-huh. yeah so he's kind of a middling director for me, and yeah, that's probably just yet another reason why this like wasn't picking up on anything that this movie
0: was laying down.
2: I just have to quickly put my cards on the table with my least favorite X-Men movie, Apocalypse. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's haven't seen. seen. <laughs> have not seen that one. And I feel better for it. Yes, you've I'm made the, the correct I decision. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's the only one I haven't seen, so I say Dark Phoenix. Um so. Is that counting new mutants?
2: Ooh. yeah that i i would include new mutants in that um Good apocalypse enough. is certainly a film that could use some notes like at some point uh it's just like well billions of people around the world have died already and you're just like the entire planet's culture has changed because of this event in the film and then it quickly moves on so it's one of those movies <laughs> yeah that's, that's sweet <laughs>
1: um at Movies Work comments, no Colin Firth. The movie is about Egg and Roxy having different views on work-life balance and learning from each other. Tatum dies and Strong lives. The deconstruction of the old systems now happening everywhere. Strong has to learn to step up as leader. Uh, with, yeah. of course, Mark Strong being, being Merlin.
2: I think that's not dissimilar to what we discussed. Everyone, yeah. <laughs> everyone's recognizing that Roxy is great. We must stay on Roxy. And that uh,
0: Mark Strong probably shouldn't have stepped on a landmine, and that Colin Firth should still be dead in this movie.
2: Yeah. Okay, sorry, can uh, I can I quickly introduce this? Um, I yeah. hated that death scene, but this is also the one millionth piece of media from the year 2017 that uses John Denver's Country Roads Take Me Home. I had to research why so many Please. things did this and it's because yeah. uh, the John Denver estate is managed by new people and they actively tried I think starting in 2014 to start talking to more media creators to put the John Denver library of music in their in their pieces of work so like sound uh, like editors will like put out calls they'll be like we need an interesting 80s song to play in this scene because music only exists in the 80s for most movies so <laughs> they they are in constant contact with movie studios going like have you considered putting country roads take me home in your movie and you know what they say yes so it's a great song it's a great song but 2017 we reach peak saturation levels and we're you know we're still pretty much there
1: <laughs> oh i love i love that piece of trivia thank you that's that's a, that's wild yeah i remember there were being memes about it too around that time anyway um it was like it was made it made its way into meme culture
2: if you um, were making a 2017 period piece country roads take me home would need to play in it yeah <laughs> uh
1: movies at work continues bigger role for halle berry a fun foil for strong to play off of i'd be inclined to agree Uh, Charlie lives and escapes so that he can finish his evolution and
0: begin the and being the main villain of the third film that actually that's interesting that he says that because in the first movie he's like a tertiary villain he's just like the classist jerk he's the jock to eggsies nerd in the movie if you will Mm -hmm. in the second movie he's the henchman the third movie him being the main villain that is the evolution of the character like that's that's the trajectory right. Too bad I won't watch the third movie. <laughs> uh,
1: also, the, this commenter wants more Elton John music, just because, I would ac- agree, and make Julianne Moore's death less anticlimactic.
0: I mean, maybe she should have gone in the meat grinder instead of uh, Pedro Pascal, but...
2: It was yeah. right there. It was <laughs> right there. <laughs> it's Chekhov's meat grinder.
0: <laughs> I mean, someone was going in that meat grinder in the end. Yeah. Just cool. wasn't Julianne Moore. Thankfully, it wasn't Elton John. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine?
3: See, the thing is like that like is, is it just me or like is the setup of the meat grinder wrong because you get you get the you get the full meat grinder in the beginning, right? So it's mm-hmm. not like it's not like an extra satisfaction like if she was just making burgers, it like if during that whole scene where she murders someone, she was just making a regular burger and that was just part of like her 50s love, right? And yeah. then later she gets the gets put in the meat grinder, then there's some poetic Justice to her, guess, or whatever. But like, at least, at least that's like a like. It's, it's just, it, it's not really Chekhov's gun if it's like, if it's like, it went off and then it went off again. You know,
1: <laughs> if you if you fire a gun in the first act of the movie, it needs to be used poorly a second time. You, you
2: must reload the, the gun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's a great point. There is no setup and payoff with that, and it also ties into Olaf's comment about tomorrow never dies because Elliot Carver was carved up by a submarine with a drill on the end uh, so we gotta call back to everyone's favorite Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies Andrew Gregg says I like this series Matthew Vaughn is a great director too it is
1: such an unhinged movie on so many levels and I love that unhinged Personally, is an excellent I, word to
0: use here no hinges yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no hinges not a lot
1: securing this movie this, to anything
0: this yeah. door has no hinges I just pushed it down <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can't get it back up the stairs. It is so unhinged.
1: <laughs> uh, personally, I would have preferred it stay European. I wonder whether the sh- studio was pandering to American audiences.
0: Uh, it really does feel like it was,
1: or at least trying to like. It's like we discussed, maybe just market a like UK versus America like standoff.
2: Because those yeah. those were the posters. Uh the American characters uh where the British characters were like suited was written over them and then booted was the American one. So it's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna see what's up when these two spy agencies go head to head, and you don't really.
1: Uh but that was our listeners' thoughts. That was our thoughts. Um thank you very much, uh, Evan, for sharing your thoughts today on uh
2: Kingsman, the Golden Circle. It was a pleasure to be here, uh, and now I am exiting the Golden Circle. <laughs> um,
1: of course, you're the host of the Kino Lefter podcast. Any Where can we find you? Anything else you want to plug?
2: Well, you can follow the podcast on all of your social media platforms of choice, except for TikTok. Um, there's a Patreon for the podcast, uh, like most podcasts. Uh, I'm currently doing a series on all of the Planet of the Apes films over there. So I oh am si- I am six films deep into that, um, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. So if if you like my my skewed views on the movies, you can hop <laughs> over there and listen to it.
0: Well, we'll have to exchange some notes because I just watched all of the Planet of the Apes movies this summer. So oh. You're perfectly
2: in sync. You've got movie mindset. You're ready to to think about apes.
1: <laughs> think about apes in a new way. Uh, brilliant. And of course, you can follow us on social media at I Have Some Notes on Twitter. Put it in the search bar on Facebook and at I Have Some Notes pod on Instagram. Uh, and wherever it is you're listening to this particular episode, if you want to go ahead and give us a little, uh, little review, a little like, maybe a subscribe, we'd appreciate it. Uh, it really does help us out.
0: We were just watching a movie in which a dude saves the world. Would you like to follow a podcast where two dudes save the world? Kyle and Dave are tasked by an evil machine with watching bad movies, or it will kill us all. You can find Kyle and Dave versus the machine and more right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com.
3: Our next episode is our Christmas episode, so keep an eye out next week for uh, for a poll on you, so you can decide which Christmas movie we're going to do.
1: Until then, I've been
3: your host Liam Kreswick. I'm Scotty Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies.
1: Take me home,
2: West Virginia. No! <laughs> Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink.
1: I'm Andrew Paul,
2: and we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast.
1: The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it.
2: ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors.
1: Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast.
2: Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in.
0: Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with
1: your
2: communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com.